You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to another episode of Flying the Call. Today's guest is really from formerly known as People Like You. Last month, they released their self-titled album via Top Shelf Records, and it's one of the handful of albums that i found this year that truly stand as a work of art. Really From seamlessly blends together emo, indie, math rock, jazz, and a variety of other sounds, with just as much emphasis on the silences in between. On this episode, we discuss those eclectic sounds, the guiding principles behind what the band does, making an album that sounds huge, the unique ways they determine their track listing, investing in yourself, and a whole lot more. Before we get into that though, music writer Joel Funk and I have our second installment of What's the Buzz for You, breaking down some of our favorite tracks we've been spinning recently. Be sure to check the show notes to listen along to the playlist, and if you missed the first round, don't worry. I've created a Twas the Buzz archival playlist, so you can go back and listen to all the jams we've discussed previously. Now here is the buzz. we're talking about is numb by water parks which is this is a band that like no lie i got into i think right when their last record came out because i thought of them as being very very cringy for a very long time just because of how uh how hyper and how annoying their presence is online right like austin has a a bad habit of like just typing in all caps all the time and screaming and doing like 50 tweets in 20 minutes and just like I was like, that was enough of a deterrent for me to originally put them, like, put them as far away from me as possible. And then uh, Fandom came out, and I don't know what it was, but I've been, like, hooked ever since. And Numb is the third single from their upcoming album, Greatest Hits. And I can't stop listening to this song. It's just so, like, insanely bouncy. And I don't know why I love the fast-talking chorus so much, but this band is just, like, it's at this point infectious how like how wild that energy is yeah this is the the first water parks track i think i've ever listened to but it's like it's so fucking loud and so fucking huge and i'm not saying they're the deepest lyrics but because motherfucker i look good today self-care green hair looking cute today kind of slays <laughs> yeah i mean absolutely it's like there's no way you could hear that and not immediately be like, yeah, actually same, 100% same. And just like, I think I laughed for a solid 10 minutes when I realized that he was saying my band and I are like Coldplay, that's allowed to say the fuck word. Like those lyrics are so dumb, but I love it so much. And I love that uh, the lyrics are green hair, but on the cover he has blue and orange hair. <laughs> yeah. This, I think I'm trying to think if the green hair was a reference to the fandom era because he on the the first single from this album, uh, Low Key as Hell, they like literally lift the line from the second single off of fandom. So, like, the chorus of that song is also basically the chorus of uh, another song in their catalog. But I'm wondering if he was referencing the last era while they were writing this, which is. I think about as meta as this band will ever get. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just seeing that Greatest Hits is 17 tracks, so that's certainly interesting, too. Yeah, I mean, they... I feel like they always have pretty long... Like it's, I don't think they've had less than 14 tracks on a record, so... Oh, damn. Yeah, they just, like... He's very prolific. I mean, granted, like you said, the, the lyrics, for the most part, are pretty surface level, so it's not like he's, like, writing scripture. <laughs> but... Uh, 
yeah, I'm just excited for the energy of this record coming out of 2020. I think I couldn't I have a hard time dealing with things that are too, too, too morose. And then next up, we have Team and Aid with Do and Die, which I feel like is one of the best examples of like their use of really interesting and like different melodies. I don't know. I just really love the, the like sloping, you know, kind of feel of the song. Yeah, it's definitely one of my faves. And uh, they recently signed to Counterintuitive and are saying that vinyl's coming as well as new music. I think at one point they were teasing like four or five songs. So it might be, you know, one of those like discography vinyl deals since they don't have very much out. But uh, definitely excited for that. Yeah, Team Aid's pretty exciting to me. Uh, like, especially on this song, I get like big, um, there's like a very obvious like a 90s energy to what they're doing musically, I think. And it feels very much to me like... Uh, the music of like when Sheryl Crow wasn't afraid to write a rock song, but then like if Sade did the vocals, like it's just so insane how how well those two things like meet in the middle. And I I don't know the song is incredible and it's uh, definitely a fun listen. It's so funny. Like I you know I'm a product of the '90s, but I didn't really get into music outside of country until like. 2005 or whatever so like beautiful i love that for you all the like when for your strong released like their 90s cover album i was like oh i kind of know this song i don't know this one at all (laughs) yeah i don't know music has always been huge for me like huge huge for me so like hearing these references is insane i love hearing it yeah like i definitely like i pick up on you know, when people say like this sounds like 90s music, it's like I can identify it, but I can't like identify the specifics. So it's like a really weird relationship, but I kind of dig it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then uh, next up we have Empty Heaven with Ozzy, which is a pretty, you know, bare bones song musically, but he does such an amazing job at storytelling and really kind of like getting you to picture, you know, this person who was like an inspiration for a lot of his music and stuff. and. I don't know. I it, I really love it. And I think that, you know, I, I tweeted this out when I first found an Empty Heaven. Like, if you make a playlist of all his music in chronological order, it, like, it's so good. It's so cool to see, like, the progression and the different sides. And, you know, it, he's in the middle of, you know, doing a collaborative track each week this month. And I'm really excited for that. And I know there's more to come that I'm also very excited for. Yeah. Uh, this song, you know, it reminded me, like, on first listen, uh, a lot of, I don't know how how into La Dispute you ever got, but um, they have uh, a series of, like, two or three song EPs called the Hear Hear series, and just uh, how stripped back this is with that, like, very, so- the, just the soft-spoken delivery reminded me of La Dispute, like, the La Dispute that I loved when I was in, like, my freshman year of college, and it's just it's refreshing to hear that done, but done in a way that's so, like, it doesn't feel recycled. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It is. It's good to hear. I'm excited to hear more from this this guy for sure. And then I think that brings us into the next song, which is Clarkson by Sly Withers. Uh, Sly Withers is a band that I got into 2018, 2019, maybe, when I had this, like, very huge obsession with Australian, like, pop punk and emo. Like, it, I don't even remember how it started, but if it wasn't music from Australia for at least the first half of 2019, I was not listening to it. Clarkson is, I think, the fourth single to be released off of their upcoming record, Gardens. But I think this is, out of the four that have been released, the one that really encompasses what Sly Withers does best. The storytelling is there vocally. It's probably one of their most solid performances. Uh, and it drives home what they describe themselves as, which is a uh, feelsy punk from Perth. And it's just like this beautiful blend of bands like like the Hotelier and Modern Baseball that just, they, they find a way to write about things that we all feel that are familiar enough for everybody without feeling like the same sad sack of shit that you hear recycled pretty often. I was definitely around for that Australian phase for you, which is why, you know, Bugs is one of the first guests for the show. And I've had a few other Australian bands on actually, I think, and their music industry down there is like so interesting to me. You know, it seems like bands in like the pop punk realm really have the opportunity to kind of pop off, which is really exciting to see because I feel like we don't really see that much in the States anymore. And 
yeah, I feel like Sly Weathers is just like a really great example of that kind of like, you know, early 2000s pop punk mixed with the indie leading emo and the build on this song in particular is like really awesome to me. Yeah. I mean, these guys are incredible. I can't wait for the rest of this record to come out and just, I don't know. I don't want to sound like that guy, but I really think this band could like take over the world 100%. And then uh, that that brings us into I Eat Boys by Chloe Moriando, which uh, I mentioned her last week, but she is probably the act I'm most excited for in 2021. I Eat Boys is the first like single where she announced the album Blood Bunny, which is coming out next month. And what I love about this is it really showcases the like morbid sense of humor that I think a lot of younger, like Gen Z in particular has in a way that's not like crude. Like she's obviously singing about like eating boys or like literally murdering them for looking at her funny in the street. But in a way that, I don't know, it's not weird. It feels almost like uh, like if Diablo Cody was writing music, right? This song gives me big Jennifer's body energy. And I just think that the way she writes is so smart and it's nice to have these huge hooks with just a, with a sense of humor about them. When I heard it originally, I was, I was like, this, this could be like a Phoebe Bridger song if it was a little bit slower, just because they have that same like morbid sense of humor that I think gets lost on a lot of Phoebe's tracks because of how, how somber they are. Yeah. I really love like the dissonance there. Like it has this awesome, like chill summary vibe, but then, you know, if you look at obviously from the title or the title of the album and even like the album artwork, it's like, you know, such, such a difference in the sound and the production on here is like so great. It's there's like clear room for everything again about the album artwork. It reminds me of, uh, Last week we were talking about Pink Shift when they were teasing what now became their their uh, EP release, yep. which I got that uh, I was right on that pink vinyl that sold out the same day, and I yeah I just love the artwork and I love I love artists that you know are paying attention to that stuff like to those details, especially in an age where it's like you know the album artwork on Spotify isn't necessarily as important as you know whether you're seeing like a full CD or a vinyl. <laughs> right. I mean, look at like the life of Pablo, if you ever want, like proof that album art on streaming services does not matter. But um, I enjoy when they do pay attention to things like that. And what I think I love most about what we've heard so far from this record is that it's so, it's so different from uh, her debut, Rabbit Hearted. Like Rabbit Hearted, she was 16 when that album came out and she was just, just like the growth in these two years from then to now is, is incredible. And just to hear how much more like I think she was writing more for herself this time around. And you can hear that because it's like there are, there are times where it's like darkly funny. And there the other singles like uh, Girl on TV or Manta Rays, it's like not afraid to explore being young, being queer, being in love uh, and not having to like kind of hide it with like dance around it with metaphors. I just I love in the direction she's going. And doing it all on a major label is even cooler. <laughs> Absolutely. It's insane. Like, and it's also really cool that she, like, clearly has, like, ties to, you know, our scene. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, I don't know. It's just very exciting to hear. Not to sound like, I guess, a super jaded millennial, but it's nice to hear, like, Gen Z, like, young kids not afraid to not just make, I guess, hyperpop. No offense to hyperpop, but, like, it's nice to hear something other than that coming out of it. Yeah, I, I love, I've said it many times on this podcast before, and I'll say it again. I love this the breakdown of genre that we've seen over the last few years. Oh, 100%. And it's such a such a breath of fresh air that you like don't know what could potentially be coming anytime. Yeah. I mean, look at Poppy, for God's sake. <laughs> like, to go from like 2000s pop to this like death metal album she put out is insane. And I guess speaking of that, which also fits into it pretty well, is the last track that we have, which is quirk by really from who's actually going to be the guest for this week and this the whole album their self-titled album is this is the second track on the album and i was certainly fully into the album by the time this track was over if not sooner i really love like the kind of like math rock open air feeling and again similar to the chloe track it has like this room to breathe like you can feel the the space um and that's something that I really appreciate. 
And, you know, they really have done a great job of blending the, the emo, the math rack, the jazz, and kind of like anything else that you might want into this really cool, like somber piece that really fits like the album fits as a singular piece of art, which is really awesome. Yeah, this band is like insane to me. Um, I remember when first was released uh, back in 2017, I remember writing about that for 36 Vultures and just like absolutely being in love with, like you said, the, the way they were able to marry all the different genres that they bring to the table and do it in a way that doesn't feel forced. You know what I mean? So like, there's no... There's no obvious, okay, well, we all like jazz, so we're really going to shoehorn this weird jazz part into this song. It's like, obviously, it's not effortless, but it feels effortless. Like, it's just, it feels organic. And uh, I just, yeah, I love everything this band brings to the table. This album was incredible. And Sanders' uh, side project, Haunter, is a really cool example of just how wildly talented every different member of this band is. And then just a couple quick pieces of music news that have caught my eye recently. Today, uh, Lucy Dacus uh, announced an album with opening support from Bartiz Strange on her tour, which is amazing. And I really hope that tours happen the way we're kind of all hopeful that they do. Yep. And then the the other thing that I have is Downhall announced their sophomore album, Proof, which is going to be out the end of May, I believe. And that was one of my immediate pre-orders hopped on right away. Like this band is crazy. The build from their three EPs to their first album before you fall asleep. Like I knew before you fall asleep was going to be like the culmination of that, but I didn't know where they were going to go from there. And proof is not what I expected, but it is, it blows before you fall asleep out of the water in like every single way, just about beautiful. Uh, I'll be honest, Standing Water is the first downhaul song I think I've actually listened to all the way through. Uh, but I am very excited to go to dive into their back catalog because I love what I heard this time around. And that was The Buzz, and coming up next is my conversation with Really From. I'm curious with like such a diverse sound uh, that Really From has, what is kind of like your guiding principle um, when you go to create music? uh i think it's an agreement of just like everyone's bringing something to the table every idea is heard and if we like we like to run with idea we engage with it and if we're unsure about it i feel like we are at a point where we respect each other enough we'd be like oh i'm not sure about this or maybe this um and it's it's a lot of collaboration like that at least for writing the record but yeah, that, that, that's how that's how I see it. It's always just like an understanding of respect and uh, um, willingness to try things. And everyone's idea does, has a space. And I don't think even if someone says, I have an idea, n- no one's like, oh, we're not going to listen to that or doesn't take it seriously. I feel like at a point where we're all willing to try ideas and hear things. And if it doesn't work, we're like, oh, uh, maybe I'm not sure about this or I'm not sure about this or maybe let's move to this. But I feel like that conversation is always present during writing. I would also add that, like, um, you know, we all have like a very we each individually have very eclectic tastes in music. Um, So I think and I think we're also can be very opinionated. So we'd like to like kind of when we're having conversations and like sometimes we can be quick to like judge something and be like, Oh, that sounds like that kind of thing. Should we do that? The kind of thing Do we want to do that kind of thing. Uh, I think there's, we, we've gotten to a point in our, in our own abilities where we can play around with um, a lot of different ideas because our abilities don't kind of constrict us to one thing. It's like, well, gosh, we can almost do anything here and there depending on what we're doing um so i think when the four of us come together with our own uh opinions and stuff uh you get very interesting results usually we like concerning like specific parts we all kind of like if someone brings in a song they'll leave room for the other person or leave space like chris Chris said for the other person to kind of write their own part. Um, someone might come up with an idea of a part for somebody else for them to then develop 
um, as their own. And that's kind of just a very like basic, like fundamental thing we do in our process. I feel like. Yeah, I would also say that one of our guiding principles is that we have never, as as long as I've been in the band, we, um, you know, when we're when we're starting to create, I I had asked Chris like pretty early on in our writing process, like you know, what do we want to sound like, and um, who do we want to sound like, and things like that, and that all of that kind of went off the table. Um, from a really early start and um, and and Chris would always say like well actually let's not let's not start there like let's not start um, with a target in mind and let's just see what we come up with and and of course our all of our influences play into our sound but it's really awesome to kind of start with a blank slate and and just kind of like vibe off of each other's ideas and um, and hear what are, what each other um, are playing and saying, and let that be our influence. Yeah, and where's that like process of discovery kind of stop for you? Like, how much of it bleeds into the studio versus preparation beforehand? I think it mainly when we have to record. I felt we we've talked about this a lot, but a lot of us have were like writing parts up until uh, we had to do our takes in the studio. So you're always like editing, re-editing, trying to uh, refine things, trying to approach things differently. I was also going to say, I feel like all of us interact with music differently too. Like we're all listeners and we all like music, but how we interact with music, it's very different. Like I know uh, Sander is, you know, like a huge audiophile, like really likes listening to different parts and listens to like sounds and textures and always looks for that in a song. And similar with Matt too, he find, kind of like finds like the compositional side and just the the just the format of the sounds itself. But um, I feel like I, I'm always looking into like the story of the song and the context of it and uh, the the emotionality behind it. I feel like Michi's very similar of it too, and just likes to just to understand like the story of the music and how we like interact with music outside of just like the indie scene as well. Like I'm a you know I study. I still try to study as much like classical guitar, flamenco guitar, and like jazz music as I can. And so is everyone else. I know Michi does a lot of work with um, uh, people with dementia and uh, interacts with music uh, with them and always learns a lot older uh, songs, songs from their generation. So I feel like that experience of our interactions plays and blends a lot into our songwriting as well and why it may seem so naturally, naturally eclectic and not forced because we're always interacting with just a whole variety of sounds. Yeah, and I mean, I saw that you kind of didn't also didn't really go into the you know writing or recording process with kind of like preconceived notions of um, the track listing. I'm curious how you kind of like approached that when sequencing did finally come into the picture and what you know how you kind of used the different sounds to guide the listener through the album. It was a long, long conversation that we had. It was a long time. I was—I uh, don't think we've talked about this, but I will say that how we came about the track list, first, we did not decide on what the order of the songs were until we mixed the album. So not even after, like, after we tracked everything. Um, and how we approached it, our method was each person, including Sai, who was the producer on the album, wrote their own track lists their own individual track list of what the album is. And then after that, we listened to each person's and then we came together and just made a summary of three different versions of those five different versions. And from those three, we voted on one. So there's actually eight different versions of this album that exists. And you've the one that exists right now is only one of the eight different possibilities. So there are alternate timelines where <laughs> other versions of this album exist, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, that's so funny to think about. <laughs> yeah, I want, I want the uh, LP box set with, with every single version. <laughs> that would be so funny if we ever had enough money to do that. And <laughs> uh, I feel like the album has like such a unique sound to it. Like it's kind of the stereotypical like late night back of the bar like vibe to it. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about kind of what the studio environment was like for you and what kind of sound you were hoping to capture with the album. It was a great recording environment um i don't know really comfortable i don't know if you've heard this place machines with magnets but it's also part of it is like a 
venue, I guess, kind of yeah, DIY venue and bar. So there's a lot of like open space. So, you know, if we needed like space away from each other, you could find that pretty easily. Um, I wasn't one of the people that stayed there, but I know that um, the rest of the band stayed there overnight. Um, so in general, yeah, it was just really, it was really comfortable. Yeah, it was cool to like wake up and then just walk across the hall and go into the studio and record. That was that was very nice and very convenient. Um, we also went to the studio the week before, the weekend before lockdown. Like when we were in the studio was when South by got canceled. And then it was at that point where we we're all like, oh, this is getting real, real. Like it's getting <laughs> very serious. And so when we were in the studio, we're all in an enclosed space next to each other, not wearing any masks. And the next time we're in the studio, we're all masked up, keeping social distance. So that was very interesting to look back on to seeing how the different dynamics were just because of COVID and the situation. Um, but it was really nice to have, again, uh, it was really nice having Cy there too, who was able to ground us, I feel like, to a certain extent to uh, help us like push us forward. Uh, Seth was also very like willing to share his opinion, the uh, engineer at Machines with Magnets, willing to share his opinion, um, but also willing to like just help us make the thing and help us produce like the best record that we could <laughs> and i mean you could also speak to this but a lot of the vocals no vocals were recorded at that studio too we recorded all the vocals um in uh michi's closet actually that was all like padded up <laughs> that was super cool so that's why i think that's the most astounding thing about this album is how good the vocals sound in uh in a tiny closet right <laughs> probably like 15 feet from where michi's sitting right now oh yeah <laughs> yeah all the vocals were were done um, in my apartment. Um, so I did an incredible job on those. And um, yeah, we recorded the majority of everything at Machines with Magnets in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, our engineer's name is Seth Manchester. And, and like Chris said, he did a, a phenomenal job at kind of guiding the process and providing a lot of input based on his experience and and, and the studio is just like beautiful <laughs> and comfortable to be in. I only recorded live piano there. So um, one of the nice things about playing a keyboard and, and a synth is, is that we, we did all of the, the keyboard stuff remotely uh, through MIDI and then we're able to choose our synth sounds after so we had a lot of flexibility there as far as uh, our timeline was concerned although Sai spent many 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 hours um programming the synth sounds and <laughs> and choosing uh yeah that was a very tedious process for him and and he just absolutely killed it and were there any um songs that ended up kind of like sounding drastically different by the time the the keyboards were fully programmed yeah, I would say I'm from here. That like rock se- section in the middle, uh, we had. I mean, most the majority of the synth sounds weren't decided until during tracking. So there were a lot of the parts that we just had no idea what was gonna sound. I feel like I'm from here, uh, uh, in the spaces, and I feel like the the synth bass on Trilingual too. Those were just like so heavy and so eighty sounding. That was so cool. Um, so I feel like those, for me personally, those three songs, when I heard it, like played back and when Sai sent us the tracks with the synth, I was like, whoa, this sounds like completely different than what I had imagined for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was written just on like a tiny compact piano, basically <laughs> with like this vague, um, Rhodes sound. And then when we were hearing, uh, some of these bounces from Psy, it was like, okay, now we have a Jupiter, now we have a Whirly, now we have, you know, so many different things and and layers of layers of different synth sounds as well. So it definitely um, shaped the the feel of the songs a lot. Yeah, and I read also about kind of like while you were in the studio being urged to kind of make the sound of the album as big as you wanted to and not really worry about how it would translate live. And I'm curious now, kind of like looking back, um, and now they're you know probably thinking a little bit more about how it will translate live. What kind of are the the roadblocks that you're finding, or like the things that you think are going to be really interesting to be able to play around with? 
shot ourselves in the foot with that one. <laughs> no, that no, that was a good joke. <laughs> I I think that um I think that 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 it was a huge blessing and honestly um an awesome an awesome way to be encouraged to ex- expand our sound because you know with with what we have available to us in music today like the the possibilities really are endless and and i think that it was a huge blessing to to not think about what our live setup was going to be but just make the sound exactly that as big as we want it to be I made a huge purchase today um, and bought a new synthesizer, which n- nobody knows about yet. So surprise. Um, he, he, I'm so excited, but it's going to be huge for me in what I'm going to be able to do. And it's also a synthesizer that I'm, I feel that I'm going to be able to grow into over like my lifetime, probably. <laughs> So I'm really excited about that. Nice, nice. <laughs> Another thing that I find, you know, I I love that this is um, the self-titled album, I, and I love like that that kind of ties into how much it digs into kind of like identity and like looking at yourself internally. And I would like to hear a little bit more about kind of like the themes that come up uh, upon identity, like throughout the album, and kind of like the thoughts behind them. It, it was related to the name change. Uh, we were in a position where we had to change our name and I've always had the phrase really from in my head. I've always had that like question posed to me growing up um, as like most mixed people do, as most Asian people do, um, you know, just having someone like with a face like mine and an accent like mine and a lot of like people in this country have never seen those two things together. So that was something that's always been like present in my life and I know with this band, I've always talked a little bit about it and we've always like talked about ideas of self and identity and place. Um, and I thought that really from and people like you, which was our previous name, uh, aligned thematically and there was a continuity between the two. So once we made the change to switch our name to that, I feel like that could kind of influence at least my songwriting for our next album. And I was like, let's just go straight into it. And I've, a lot of this, these songs that are on this album, the songs I've been trying to write for years, for since I've been like writing music, I've been just trying to understand it and do it in like a artful way, in a way that has craft and uh, scope and depth and doesn't sound trite or repetitive or just bad. And, you know, <laughs> um, so I feel like that has always the subject themes are just things I've always written about for my whole life. Um, and the changing our name to really from allowed us to really dive first into that and just really craft a sound that best supports that and makes it seem the highest form that we could uh present it and and could you talk a little bit more about that kind of um process of getting to the point where you are able to you know write these songs and express the the thoughts in them uh, and kind of like what it was that changed and made that click for you uh I feel like beyond the lyrics, I feel like more musically, how I approached writing the lyrics was kind of somehow we all write our parts that we're like, all right, we have this idea in mind and let me execute this way. And then you execute it and then you refine it. You're like, this is not enough. This is, I could do this better. Um, So I feel like honestly, how I kind of approached writing the lyrics was very like a technical way, kind of so much how Sander wrote his drum parts of just being like very thinking very hard about how to present this in a way that hasn't been presented before, but also in a simplistic way that could fit structure. I feel like everyone else could talk more about their individual composition, uh, compositional contributions to uh, the album. But I feel like it's just, again, just trying to refine, produce, and be better than what was before. I feel like that's always our goal as artists. I would also add, as far as themes are concerned, being in this band has has shaped my ability to share a lot of those thoughts freely. Of course, as mixed race people, we have had, you know, these are our lived experiences and these are things that we have dealt with and thought about our entire lives. Um, But I would say that you know, at one point I was a part of the scene, but 
surrounded by like my white friends from New Hampshire and like white dudes in the emo scene. And I think getting to Berkeley and, and, um, and surrounding myself with a, with a more diverse crowd and, um, and feeling empowered by people who look like me and have similar stories empowered me to, um, to share my perspective as well. We were talking earlier about kind of like the the scope of the sounds in your music and kind of one of the the outliers in my opinion is kind of like in, in spaces which is kind of you know has like that kind of like cinematic robotic like vocals um and is just a little bit like I said a little bit like out of uh, more unexpected from the album and I'd love to hear more about kind of like that song and how that one came together yeah I, I'd be happy to speak on that um that's uh, something that I brought to the band, right? I at least started, um, and the first minute or so was something I had written out basically for the band to play, and then everything that pretty much followed that we developed as a group. Um, and you know the the meaning behind the lyrics that Chris wrote, and I think the song in general, I think I think it sort of took meaning after it was fully written but initially my point of writing that music and bringing it to the band was to have something that was a little bit of a departure from what we've written in the past and the music we've written in the past because there is a lot of just you know literal silence and it starts off very calm and slowly develops over the course of the five minutes um i think that's something that yeah, we haven't really explored as much. Also, just like as far as like the orchestration of the song, it just starts with synth, synth bass, which I think is a statement in itself because that's sort of a new thing with this band, like having synth bass as opposed to like electric bass and then synth bass and trumpet and then guitar comes in a little later. So it's just like the order of the instrumentation and, and everything is a little bit different so yeah it was really for the the point of being exploring new territory i'll also add to that i feel like matt's thesis behind the album really did influence the lyrics as well because his whole thesis is just like being in silence really there is a lot of space and a lot of like room to breathe and what do you do when you're in that silence so when i like he presented that song there was like he mapped out all the rests on the album all like every single beat of silence was meticulously planned out by matt um so when i was like in those spaces sorry when i was in i was in like listening to those like those silence parts and just really just like sitting with it that's kind of like let my mind wander and just i feel like those moments of quiet and stillness are um just it just makes me think about other things so that like whole thesis of the out like the lyrics are about like uh, a story i heard about my my chinese grandmother who i never met and how she like worked a lot and like moved to countries never been to I, I'm, I have no relationship with this woman i've never met her but just thinking about just like the monotony of working so hard and just trying to find a moment to yourself especially like a working immigrant in new york city um it's not very common so i just felt like those spaces that matt created allowed me to meditate on something that people can't really meditate on because they don't have those moments of silence so that's why i think that i don't think we ever talked about it, but i I just like realizing that now i think that's definitely influenced how i approached writing those lyrics and then obviously like he did matt you did write the end part too like that piano part i remember when he first showed it i was like yo that's got to be the jam we got like rock on that became a pretty heavy like post-rock post that all the rock stuff was written by you, man. You made, you're the one that wrote the Hendrix chord, wrote the Stoner Rock part. <laughs> the blast beat at the end is all Sander. Um, right? You call it a blast beat? I don't know. <laughs> I, I was I was going for a a, a black gaze type of. Uh... <laughs> My mom's favorite song on the album. It's the song that Matt wrote. <laughs> hey, we all wrote it. And then, I mean, another thing about the band that's, like, really interesting to me is, like, you're kind of not quite, like, an instrumental band, but you are, you know, a little bit more sparse with the lyricism and kind of heavy on the very emotional instrumentation. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of, like, how you came into that style and what it is about it that uh, you connect with. 
yeah, I feel like everyone could talk about this to a huge extent, but I feel like when Sander and I kind of like started this band after I Kill Giants, we kind of wanted to make it more instrumental and little go go a little deeper and a little more complex. Um, and then like when we made the first record, we asked Matt and Michi to play on it and to sing on it. And then eventually when we started playing shows, we we all realized that we all liked playing music together and writing music together and kind of just went with that. So I feel like our intention is we always want to try write things to the best of our ability and play to the best of our ability. And I feel like there's no deliberate choice to be like, all right, this song's going to have X amount of lyrics or this part is going <laughs> to have this. I just feel like it's more so you're building it up on the spot that it's not driven by the lyrics. I mean, the only song that I think that's on that is is the house on this album. But that's, other than that, everything was like, kind of fitting in spaces of the of the music but i feel like everyone just also has such a huge voice like matt and sander are such lyrical musicians and they play very melodically um i mean obviously because matt is playing a trumpet but sander as well he just doesn't like to keep a, a steady steady beat he's like really trying to sing in in his parts so i feel like everyone's lyricism needs to stand out somehow and i feel like it's just providing space for each other's uh, lyricism in their own in either instrumental writing or lyrical writing to take place in the song. I know you all have kind of like backgrounds in like the jazz area as well as the kind of emo indie DIY area. I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of like uh, where your musical roots lie. Yeah, obviously, you know, going to Berkeley, we were surrounded by a lot of different things um, in in my own pursuits to uh, become a better drummer. I've studied jazz with this record specifically. Um, I took on quite a lot of jazz study more than I, I kind of at the beginning of the game recognized that I wasn't at the top of my ability to, to make these songs what they could be. So I sort of started a long game very early on to then be prepared to offer, um, a more diverse and more, uh, how would I say it, uh, more authentic approach um, to, you know, I, I've always looked at, I think we, we like to look up to Matt because he's such an amazing uh, musician and he, uh, you know, yeah, and being a, uh, he was a jazz comp major. So, and, you know, was always playing with like really good players. So it, it's, it's such an honor to play with him and, and, and I'm always trying to, you know, it, besides him, everyone is always kind of pushing me to try and match that. But, you know, coming from where me and Chris were coming from, we were doing a lot of math rock stuff. I think that whole sound has gotten really old and stale. I think we were already, <laughs> when we got into the, that game, it was already kind of on its way out in, in a certain way, or, you know, a lot of heavy players had already kind of, made quite a statement. Um, so I've, I've always tried to bring in uh, something different in any, in any capacity, but I'd say at least on my end, I've really dug into a lot of more like fusion. Um, a lot of the, the newer in the last five years, five, six years, a lot of the, the newer, like, uh, you know, jazz and hip hop fusion type of stuff. That's, that's come about um that's really gotten under my belt finally to a certain degree so that's kind of what i was trying to really put into this record because i i actually i'm i i don't i prefer not to if i don't have to play a punk beat or an (laughs) emo beat or whatever you call that i i I don't want to play it um so i and i'm glad that like we had a you know we have a lot of indie rock parts and I'm always, if, if we're playing rock, I'm going to play a big rock part so it can sound big, you know, mm-hmm. I'm always trying to serve the music. So that, um, that definitely, it was, how do I do something authentic and interesting and, and new, but how do I make these songs bop as much as possible? <laughs> it's a very fine line to walk um and i think everyone in this band does it in their own very unique way yeah and i think uh going off the idea of making a song bop i think one of the kind of 
best examples of that on the record is trilingual which has kind of you know some of the brighter song the sounds on the album and you know the the lyrics hitting on kind of like reconnecting with culture through uh your family's native languages and um i would love to hear a little bit more about how that song came together you know that song's gone through like probably the most transformation from its conception uh like sander could talk about this too but he basically one i forget we we can't decide when this happened we there's like a debate between the two of us on when this moment happened but there was a moment where he asked me to like just play some like chords and just like just to like he wants to sample my guitar so i was just like playing chords that i was into at the time and not really in time or anything just like laid stuff right now and then he kind of chopped it up he, he did he did chop it up and create his own form with it and create his own song with that and uh basically that out of that whole creation came that riff in the chorus essentially um that was like the heart of the song and then uh there was like a separate writing session with me and michi just like working on uh we were like oh let's just like meet together and just write something and she was just like playing this like melody in on the piano at my house um and we were like oh this i was like oh this is a nice melody and i kind of took some lyrics that i had from yeah solo uh from (laughs) uh that melody from another song but added to that and then i was like oh what if we just like put this all together and that was like the format of it but the actual sounds of the form of like starting really soft and that post-rock like folk uh, intro to that rock punk uh second half didn't really come about to the very end until Sai was like he we played the song for him. It's like something's not working here. So he's like, "Can you guys just sing me the thing, sing me the lyrics?" And then like me and Michi just like played it together, and I played it more open. And he was like, "This is the song." And we just like, he he is a huge, uh, he has a huge uh, credit to him to how that song came about because he was the one that kind of mapped. I was like, "All right, you should try to do this here, and then kind of go big here." Um, and I feel like a lot of our parts were in in Rin to like. The studio like i know matt improvised a bunch on that too and i don't know if you wrote the the charts for the horn parts until after the studio or did you write beforehand for trilingual for trilingual uh trombone parts came after but right um a good a good amount uh, all the trumpet parts were planned out beforehand um that was funny because i wrote a lot of the trumpet parts to sort of follow michi's vocals but we recorded the trumpet before the vocals. <laughs> so I think it, 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 it works. There are some moments where it's, I don't know, obvious to me that the trumpet was recorded before the vocals, <laughs> but um, the trombone was recorded after and I didn't like come, I had like a loose idea of what they would, how would that, that would work in the beginning, but. And we mentioned before kind of like the, connective tissue between um, people like you and really from and um, the album there's kind of like that similar uh, pairing with I live here now and I'm from here uh, kind of connected by that interlude can you talk a little bit about kind of those two songs and uh, how they relate to each other um so I could say I live here now is the second oldest song on that album next to the house that the like that main riff came about after the 2016 election, I went over Sanders house because we were both li- living in Jersey at the time. And I just wanted to play um, and split the frustration out. So we kind of just like, I had that riff and we kind of like put it together. Um, and that song has also gone through many, many iterations. So um, I think it kind of worked out that the titles were related and, but that was never the original plan of having I Live Here Now and then Last Knee Play and then I'm From Here. But somehow <laughs> by the grace of God, it worked um and i feel like i'm from here was always kind of just the thesis statement of the album it's always addressing the the question that is our band name um but i live here now was always like kind of a statement to a reaction of you know the election at the time and just the state of the country and the world in general and i actually borrowed that the name of that song from an episode of the show the leftovers like there was the season finale season two finale leftovers called i live here now and it was like one of my favorite episodes of television just like really cool and really weird and i just like the idea of like being present in a place that you're not really sure about and like this is the world that we live in now um and it's really funny we like released album after 
the Trump presidency, but it, it feels like that it was always a statement like this is where we are now and this is what we have to deal with while i'm from here was always like this is where i've been and this is where i always was but i guess it was never a conscious choice to be like all right these are the connecting tissues that are connected Mm -hmm. by the knee play it just ended up working that way which is pretty (laughs) cool Uh, and then another thing i kind of wanted to hit on is the use of kind of like minor keys and dissonance in your music which is something that kind of to me makes it stand out compared to a lot of other bands and yeah, could you just talk a little bit kind of about that, like the the theory and the feel behind it? I'm trying to think. I guess is apartment song. No, apartment song is technically Lydian. And yeah, no, and, I'm, I'm guilty of like always writing things in major keys. Same. I'm. <laughs> I guess Michi was the one that always wrote in minor keys. Yeah, I don't think you wrote anything that's... in a minor key in this album, did you? Hmm. That's a great question. I guess I guess I live here I mean, now is tech. Trilingual sounds super dark in the beginning, yeah. Yeah, but those but it's like a but it's a major key technically, because it's just it's just like a lot of like different random like mobile interchange chords. Yeah, I just use a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just like the jazz training in us, and I like how I like write chord progressions kind of similar to like how everyone writes. It's like like to do things unpredictable. And like to voice things unpredictably. Like I remember when uh, we were working on Yellow Fever, and Michi's like, "I kind of want like power chords on this thing, like kind of a chuggy thing." And I was like, "Bet I'm gonna do that, but not that." Um, <laughs> and I I want to like you can make things heavy and approach things differently without doing like a traditional, you know, a, a quote unquote power chord or traditional doing like a minor key or something. Oh, I guess quirk the the bridge of quirk is minor key. That's it. There, there we go. Sorry, <laughs> I don't really. I guess I don't really think of that of a, of a tonality center because it's how we've like interacted and learned about harmonies. There is real no center technically that things are so related with each other that you could really go anywhere you want. Um, and there are keys that shouldn't sound or chords that don't shouldn't sound good next to each other that do sound good next to each other because of a theoretical concept. So I think that's how we kind of approach it. Is that we're like yes there is a tonal center but you're not confined by the rules of these tonal centers and how we kind of try and move in and out and try and just like play with wherever the center is and maybe that's why it sounds ambiguous is because we're not trying to ground ourselves in one key and then i always like to wrap up by asking the same question which is just um for asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately um whether it's music or life or whatever else that you would like to share Oh, okay. We just did a nose goes um, because you guys obviously can't see us, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. Well, one thing that I have been thinking about lately, actually in literally this week and in like making this huge purchase of, of this, of this synthesizer that I'm going to have for the rest of my life I, man, like my, so my partner and I are like splitting this synthesizer because we both want this in our lives. And I was like totally convinced. And I was like, yeah, this is the one, this is the one. But when I, as I was like processing it, I was like, man, this is like a huge purchase. And there was like so many feelings that I was feeling like, oh, like you're not, you're not a good enough musician to like own this kind of equipment or, you know, wow, like this, this is so much money, like, you know, you should be putting it somewhere else, or you should be putting it towards your student loans, or like, whatever. And I've been really like meditating on that a lot, because I am a musician, and I am um, going like, this is an investment for me. But it's, Anyway, I could do an entire podcast just (laughs) on this. So I will, I'll try to keep it brief. But I guess, you know, a lot of this comes from like my upbringing of like not having a lot of money, um, like of always having the store brand cereal, of always having secondhand clothes and um, and having, you know, an immigrant mother who was like trying to survive and trying to get by. And, and, and while there's so much that I admire in that and so much humility a lot like a lot of that mentality like hindered me from like thriving or like from um trying 
you know, I was always trying to be good at things, but there were, there have been a lot of times in my life where I didn't think that I could be the best or that I could be like an entrepreneur or like have that kind of mentality because it was like, okay, like as long as you're doing okay, um, that's like enough. And so I'm, I'm finally like at a point in my life where I feel you know, I have to battle my own brain to say like, you deserve this. Um, So if I could give a piece of advice to um, anybody else who comes from a similar, you know, background or, or financial situation or whatever it may be, is that like, you are worth uh, your passions and you are worth the investment in your happiness and in your success. That was beautiful. Thanks, Chris. Always gassing each other up and really from. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I, I get, uh, there's, there's too many things I would say, but just that, um, yeah, I think, I think this whole record is really just a, a, a triumph of, um, of hard work. And, uh, and it's funny, like in the spaces is like about like kind of keeping your head down and just like working and like uh and there's own you know i've a lot of these songs have personally not being the one to write the lyrics but still being a person of mixed race and taking in this record as it's been finished but you know being a non-harmonic instrumental uh contributor it's it, it's been it's been very fascinating to me in the way I've, I've started, you know, I've connected to these songs in different ways. Um, now, after the fact that it's done, um, I think these songs can mean different things to many different people. Um, and I think, I think it's like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's maybe lame to say, like, you only live once, but it, it's just, you know, I, I felt so exhausted at the end of this record. Um, emotionally, I had you know, a decent amount of crazy things happened to me in the last four years since we, uh, we embarked on this record. Um, so now reflecting back, um, it's heavy and I, you know, I at times feel like I'm like, can I do this again? I don't know what, you know, at what cost can I put all myself into another record like this? I don't know if I can, but I don't regret it it feels like it's something that I think, I think if you're going to do something, if you're going to make art, you have to put everything into it on so many levels. Otherwise, why the fuck are you you doing it? So my piece of advice would be to go all in. That was also beautiful, Sander. Seriously, that was awesome. It's my turn. Oh, do I have advice to give? Um, (laughs) Jeez. I mean, I, I also, I agree with things that have been said so far. Definitely invest in yourself, you know, you are worth it. And that's important. It's important to be like confident and to be confident in your creations, in your creativity, but also collaboration is really fucking difficult um especially this particular situation when you have four slash five very um i mean i'm not intelligent but everyone else is very intelligent (laughs) intelligent creative people in one room trying to write something together it is like it's like impossible um so the fact that we even did that is you know amazing in itself but it's hard and a lot of the times the way the bands work, it's like one person like writes everything and everyone else just kind of like follows along and that works. And then band members leave and it's really only one stable person or it's fully collaborative. And then the band breaks up like a year later. I don't know. It's just really, really difficult. But I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, be confident in yourself and invest in yourself, but also like try and leave your ego at the door. You know, <laughs> I don't know. That's something I feel like I'm still trying to learn, you know, as speaking personally as, as someone that when I 
write music, it's usually for myself or for people that are just, you know, there to play my music and it's like a one-off thing or a recording or whatever. It's not necessarily like a band, but like when you're writing for a band and there's other people like involved, you have to take into account what they want and their needs, not just your own. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Leave your ego out the door. That's the expression, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, <laughs> oh yeah, we all. Sandra gave an applause to Matt and Snap. No, I would say to tie it all into knowing your worth, giving it your all, leaving your ego at the door. I would say the last thing I I would leave you with is that you may never find the answer to what you're looking for, whether it is making music or just finding meaning in yourself. I think the purpose of everything is not to find the meaning, but is the process of looking and the collective of in which you look it for and for which you uh, search, search it. So for example, Michi was saying just knowing your worth and what you are worth something that is very important because you cannot acknowledge others until you acknowledge yourself. You cannot show, give worth to someone else if you cannot validate your own meaning as a person and what you feel like you deserve. Giving your all has to involve understanding how much you can give and for your own sake and who you're giving it all to. And like Matt said, leaving your ego at the door, understanding that when you're creating something with other people, it's not about you, it's not about them, it's about the something, it's about the creation. Um, so I would say whatever you do, do it with people you love, do it with people that helps you sustain, helps you create and helps you thrive. And you know, I've been reading, I've been reading a lot of different like abolitionist literature of I the idea of freedom dreaming and the idea of hope as a practice <laughs> and how the practice is an ongoing experience and you may never achieve a certain goal but the purpose of dreaming and hoping is to look towards the horizon and hoping for something better than what we already have and the only way you can get there to that horizon is with people that you trust that you respect that you care about and i feel like this band has encompasses all of those things that we do this with each other and we're able to achieve such a feat because we love each other no matter how much more we get uh, upset at each other sometimes or again to fights or frustrated with each other that that is the underlying basis and foundation of this band so whatever you decide to do make sure you do it with people you love awesome love that that's probably the most poetic advice we've gotten but mm. <laughs> yeah go off it. poet <laughs> is there anything uh that we haven't hit on about the album that you've been really uh itching to get out i will i, I do want to say one last thing about track listing uh it's i, I really hope it's really funny you brought that up because when i was in high school i downloaded regina Spector's soviet quiche off like mediafire uh for free i like download it illegally and <laughs> The version that I got is not the original track listing, and I didn't find that out until five or seven years later. <laughs> until I, I think, until I met Michi, and Michi's like, "Oh yeah, I love this album," and we listened to it. I was like, "Wait, why is it not starting with this song? And why is it going here?" So already, my perception of what something is is because totally shattered. And like my favorite <laughs> version of that album doesn't actually exist. So I think it's really interesting that like. You know, obviously we had a specific order and it kind of flows nicely, but I always encourage people to say like, hey, if you have your own order of songs, you could create your own album just with your own different playlists. So I encourage people to do that too. I think that's a lot of fun. And it's, it's a trip when you realize your truth is a lie the whole time. And there we go. Episode 80 of Fly on the Calls in the Bag. Seriously, 2021 is going to be a super hard year for putting together a year-end list. And we're only in April. Really From Without a Doubt will be somewhere on mine, and I truly hope you go check out their self-titled album. It's best played at midnight through headphones, but you'll enjoy it no matter when or how you listen. Find the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you to Joel Funk for coming on for What's the Buzz, and as always, to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane for the artwork. 
can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyingTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyingTheCallPod at gmail.com. Invest in yourself. You're worth it. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.